The Don't Drown podcast would like to pay our respects to the traditional custodians of the land in which we record on. We honour and pay our respects to elders past, present and future, as well as Indigenous languages and cultural practices that are seated on all lands throughout Australia. We acknowledge that storytelling, wisdom and healing has been an integral part of Indigenous practices for eons. So when we share our stories, impart wisdom and provoke healing, we pay homage to the sacred ceremonies that these practices derive from. Hi, and welcome to Don't Drown, a place for all you self-growth seekers navigating the ebbs and flows of life. We are your hosts, Talia Ben and Ebony Ormaki. This podcast will be centered around the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual components of self-exploration and development. We will be delving deep on those tougher topics to have you feel more seen, heard, and equipped to deal with this thing that we call life. So stay afloat with us as we laugh, cry, and try not to drown. Hey, 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 bet you never thought you'd hear us again. Aloha! <laughs> We're in Hawaii. <laughs> We're not, but in our minds we are. <laughs> yeah, welcome back guys. Did you miss us? I missed us. I did too. <laughs> I missed your schnooks. Yeah, it's nice to see you on this fine day. <laughs> You've never seen me. <laughs> I have actually one time. Was it hot and sexy? I remember Talia, if you don't mind me sharing, if you don't want me to share, just cut it out. I don't even know what it is yet. <laughs> well, I remember one oh, time yeah, I know what it Talia is. was talking about um, she used to get breakouts on her face and she's like, you know, my face is so bad. And I'm like, no, it's not, babe. You're so beautiful. Like, you have nothing to worry about. And she's like, Ebony, feel it. And I touched her face and I was like, oh. No, that's not how... like Braille. <laughs> that's not how it went okay, down. It go? You were going like you were just being really supportive and like you know you're so beautiful I'm like Ebony you can't see me like you don't know like what it looks like it's really horrible and this is when my acne was really bad and I grabbed your hand and I put it on my face and you didn't go oh you went oh oh well yeah look it was a shock to my sister yeah fair enough it's a shock to mine too (laughs) it was so funny today um because I took the kids swim training and um my support worker, she has these like um, scented things in her car to make it smell nice. Mm. And Tavaki was like, we were talking about like how we could make our own and put like vanilla like sticks or, you know, um, rose petals and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> Tavaki goes, I would really like salt and vinegar. <laughs> and we were like, no, that's going to smell like your feet. Yeah. And then he goes, it will smell like Pringles. And I was like, oh my God. Oh, well, if he wants the um, smell of Pringles, he can just take his shoes off that little man. <laughs> yeah, and put them in the car. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. before we started, um, Ebony couldn't stop laughing, so I thought it would be a great time to jump in without traumatizing and tantalizing. <laughs> traumatizing or tantalizing. So, um, a friend of a friend of a friend of mine, an acquaintance who has consented to this being shared, who I will not be naming, um, he had this crazy experience. So I'm, I'm going to preface it by saying I am um, in my early 
late teens, early 20s, I was an avid waxer. So when you go and get a Brazilian, for those of you that don't know, when they wax the back of you, you roll onto your side and just, you know, pop your cheek up. Just lift lift a cheek. Lift a cheek. If you do squat, you probably won't need to lift your cheeks because they'll be spread apart. Mm. Uh, In my case, had to lift them. So anyway, he went to get his first Brazilian. And when he finished, he contacted me and he asked me, you know, what, what position you get in to have your Brazilian. So how he was told was he was on all fours, (laughs) on all fours, nude. (laughs) And the wax. That's not legal, surely. The waxer. Imagine this big burly. No, don't, 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 don't give out descriptions of what this person looks like. Okay. okay. Imagine a man, a very masculine man. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I can't. I can't. I knew this was going to send you sideways. On all fours, getting waxed. Now I do think that it's. Bad bedside manner of the waxer. <laughs> Not bedside manner. Well, I guess you Mouth could say practice. that since Mouth. one of them was fully nude. <laughs> the way I thought of it, well, I really can't go into a wax anymore straight-faced. I'm always like... Oh, yeah, are you like, do you do your ankles get like shaky thinking they're going to ask you to get Sometimes, I, you know when you get PTSD and, you know, you do crazy things, sometimes I feel like I automatically get into all fours because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else to do. Oh, right, like people will go into a fetal position. Yeah, you, I'm in all fours. No, that, <laughs> you're right, you do, you like crouch down <laughs> like you're hiding from an earthquake under a desk or something. So, yeah... I think that that is tantalizing and very, very traumatizing. Tantalizing for us because <laughs> if you was, it makes it ten times funnier. <laughs> <laughs> Safe to say, this friend doesn't get waxed there anymore. But when he's feeling zesty, he might pay them a visit. <laughs> No, to self, do not try that at home. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're with safe people. Imagine hot wax being poured on your ass crack while you're in that position. No, it's so vulnerable. No, it is. No, that's traumatizing. Oh, do you know what, though? Oh, actually, I'll save this for another time. It's another horrifying waxing story. Yeah, I'll save that for later. Anyway. <laughs> God, the wheezy. Do you sound like a kettle. Well, I did want to jump in with my quote. Is it about wax? No. Okay. Don't pay your taxes, just get waxes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now your giggles are kind of over. Mm -hmm. I did want to jump into my quote of the week, which I think is a very fitting one for both of us, but a very fitting one for a lot of people. And I think a good reminder it's focus on the step in front of you, not the whole staircase. Mm, I love that. Yeah, me too. I really love that. Because I feel like 
sometimes you can just be so laser focused on an outcome or the future or what's going to happen rather than the step you need to take to get there in the first place. Yeah. And I think sometimes we cast our nets so wide mm. that we tend to forget that we need to focus on what we have in front of us because when we don't, we can then get hyper-focused and hyper-vigilant about things we actually don't have control over right now. Mm -hmm. And it really makes our anxiety worse. It makes our triggers worse. So to try and, you you know, reel it in and narrow our vision and our lens <clears throat> to focus on what's right in front of us can be incredibly helpful. Yeah, I agree yeah. completely. And I agree with what you said about casting your net wide as well, because I think with that, it can also lead to a lot of really high expectations mm -hmm. um, and not a lot of reward when you've kind of forgotten what the main goal was in the first place. Yeah, and I think when you're trying to focus on things that are out of your control and out of your reach at this point in time, you then lose that sense of, you know, hopefulness and mm. then it kind of seeps into, you know, not feeling um grateful or not being able to see the positive because you're not looking right in front of you you're looking for things that aren't obtainable right mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. which isn't realistic yeah yeah no I completely agree but no, I, really I really like love that yeah I like that too but yeah we've been away we've come back we're feeling fresh we're feeling really good and excited to jump back into it we're all waxed <laughs> all waxed all fresh to all go really, I'm actually not my legs are so bad I need to nair them <laughs> terrible anyway continue we've got on. um quite a few episodes in the bank that I'm excited to release and a few upcoming interviews that we've got going on so that's really exciting so a lot to look forward to however the episode that we will be sharing um is one of a close friend of mine and Ebony's and it was just such a beautiful episode and I'm just really excited to share it and have everyone listen to our beautiful friend Cam's story. Yeah, no, it was amazing and I think that the way that he shared his experience so vulnerably and really articulated him self in a way where he it, it's not from a place of complete um peace and content but it's in a place where you can tell he has unpacked a lot of what he experienced during that time and after that time yeah which I think really helps anybody that's listening to see that when you do lose somebody really close to you to um suicide which is what today's episode is about that there is a way through dealing with those complex feelings and those complex emotions and that complex grief. Yeah, no, completely. And I mean, look, we should probably start a lot of our episodes with a trigger warning. However, I think it just kind of comes with the territory that anything we discuss on the podcast is going to be related to a topic that may be sensitive for some to listen to. So please make sure that you're doing your own self-check-ins and self-regulating where you can. If it becomes too much, please turn it off. We hope you enjoy and um, yeah, feel free to let us know how you enjoyed the episode. Today's guest launched his own music company in 2014, has built a successful and sustainable career in artist management, events, promotion, and digital media. He has spoken on music industry panels, including Queensland Music, Australasian Performing Rights Association, and Big Sound Conference. 
He's developed customer support systems at Linktree and is now based in Melbourne where he works as an artist manager with Foreign Echo, developing a new generation of exciting talents in hip-hop, R&B and beyond. In today's episode, our guest will be talking about navigating the loss of his brother and his own struggles with his mental health. Please welcome Cam. Hello. Yay! Ooh. At one point in that intro, I was like, are we introducing Biggie Smalls? So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> he's here! <laughs> Tupac! <laughs> Sign my titty! I'm not going to lie, hearing that uh, bio back is actually kind of cool. Getting you bricked up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, was like, I was like, damn, I've actually done some shit. Damn! <laughs> You're going to leave this oh, stew feeling like a G. Oh yeah, my ego is certainly... Let's <laughs> <laughs> fucking go. You speed out of here like... <laughs> <laughs> no, he stays in, he's like, bring some girls to the stew and we'll... <laughs> no, Pops and barbies. Yeah. As soon as we release the podcast, you just cut that part, it's your ringtone now. <laughs> you just let it play. You're like, oh, sorry, I didn't answer your call. It's getting really horny. <laughs> I love a personalized ringtone. Yeah. I think my last one was cranked out Soldier Boy. That was like 15 That's a years. slay. Yeah. That's wild. What it's was your, do you have a crazy ringtone, Tal? Yeah, I do, but I can't say it. Oh, why? No, you have to. No, no. Do you want to know mine? Yeah. I was 16. It was the remix version of I'm in love with a stripper with Twister. Nice. And I'd hear it and I'd be like, ding, ding, ding. Anyway, how are you going, Cam? How are you feeling today? I'm good. Um, just flew in from Melbs, um, heading down to the coast today. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, mentally um, feeling good. A little bit exhausted mm-hmm. um, just from a, a big week. But uh, yeah, no, overall really good. Awesome. Cool. Well, we're very excited to talk to you today. I'm very excited to be here. Cool. So let's jump right into it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so... Can you please describe to us what your relationship with your brother was like when you were both growing up? Sure. Um, it was an interesting relationship because he's, well, he was seven years older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> when I was um, when I was really little, um, you know, we would always like hang out together and like play video games and like play sport and stuff like that. And then um, he as he got older and, you know, got into puberty and like, I was like eight or nine, you know, the relatability was just not there. Mm-hmm, Cause like, yeah. obviously he was going through a lot of changes in his body and his life. And I was an eight year old watching SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah. So. It's, it's hard to connect with your siblings yeah. when they're teenagers and you're still a child. Yeah. Cause you feel like you're on two different planets. Oh, completely. Mm. And it was, yeah, it was very hard to relate to him. So I, I remember trying really hard to like, you know being like oh do you like this song or do you like you know and just like trying to find things that he liked so i could like get into it mm-hmm. um but we were still like really close like he was always very protective of me like you know if i was being bullied or if i was having a hard time he would always like step in and like be a big protector and he was like that pretty much since i was born um and then he um when i was 15 i think he went overseas to east timor and lived there for like two years. Um, so that was a bit of a hard time for me because like obviously I was going through a lot of changes in my life and didn't really have like a, it was almost like I was an only child for mm-hmm. like two years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, didn't really have like a, uh, obviously I had my dad, but didn't have like a solid male figure role model like around my age to sort of like guide me through life. Mm. So um yeah, it was, he was there for like two years. He would come back and visit occasionally, but um, 
yeah, it was like very different. And then, so we were kind of like disconnected for a bit for a couple of years. And then when I left high school and, um, you know, it was like 18, 19, you know, he took me out for my 18th birthday. And like, once I could like start drinking and, you know, we could like party and go to the pubs together, like then we kind of reconnected again. And mm. it was almost, so it was kind of like three phases of our relationship. Mm. There was like, we were very close at the start kind of distant in the middle and then it was almost like a completely new chapter once I left school mm-hmm. and I think it can often like like you were saying Tully be like that especially when you have siblings that are all different ages because mm. we ov- obviously come from a larger family and um I mean there's 12 years difference between me and my younger brother oh, um sorry 10 years between me and my younger brother 12 between me and my sister mm. so it's like you are in those different phases mm. of your life um and especially when you're younger i could imagine you wanting to connect yeah. and him being like um i'm a teenager i'm going to my room yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. i don't want to talk to anyone <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i remember like when i was like nine years old i'd like go in and we would have like like pillow fights so we just like you know hang around in his room and i remember there was like a girl in there once and i was like oh shit <laughs> and i was like yeah damn and now you know he was like 15 16 so, like, so these kinds of pillow yeah, yeah. these are not my uh <laughs> yeah. these are mom i'm scared <laughs> yeah so there was like times like that but um yeah for the most part like we still we were still quite close growing up mm-hmm. hmm. and what did you sort of notice in terms of his mental health as he hit puberty and those sorts of things. Did you notice any changes in his sort of um, mental health or how he was dealing and managing with things? Did did anything change? Um, it's kind of, I do remember some pivotal moments where like when he was sort of in middle high school towards the end where, you know, he was like, very angsty because mm. I was also the same. Like we were very angsty teenagers. We would, we had like a very short fuse. Um, but I was also, when he was kind of going through those changes, like I was like eight, eight, nine. So it was like, yeah. h- it's hard, hard for me to kind of pinpoint things. But mm. I do remember like he would start to, um, you know, try and change himself a little bit to fit in. Um, yeah. And, but he was like always very aware of his mental health. Um, we actually, um, when he passed away, we actually found a lot of his um, like high school notes and assignments from when he was in like grade 10 and 11. Mm. And he was talking about like anxiety and mental health even back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, wasn't aware of it because I was so young. Even my parents weren't super aware of it um, because it was kind of just like, it wasn't like an assignment. It was just kind of like something he wrote down in his journal book. But right. he was like, talking about um one of his friends being bullied and him like standing up you know for um for him and like against the bullies and stuff and that was kind (coughs) of pardon me um that was kind of you know his philosophy throughout life like he was always kind of standing up for the underdog Mm -hmm. because he himself was bullied quite relentlessly when he was young Mm -hmm. so he never really wanted anyone to have to go through that as well Mm -hmm. yeah um, but yeah, I think as he, as he entered high school, um, especially going to like an all boys private school in the early two thousands, um, when it was like very, very like hyper masculine mm. energy. Um, I know he was like bullied quite heavily. He yeah. had a lot of friends and he was very popular, but he was also bullied a lot and he would really take that to heart. Right. Um, so I think that definitely like changed his mental health and just, I think 
the perspective of the world as well. Mm -hmm. And I remember when we were speaking um, a couple, a week ago now, Mm. you mentioned that when he did, I don't know whether it was when he did pass or at some point you found one of the books that he had about being a, you know, hypersensitive Mm. person. And um, that really, when I was listening to you sort of talk to me about that, it kind of really painted that picture that he was always aware of his sensitivities and how hyper aware he was of, you know, other people's energies. Yeah, definitely. He was like, I I would classify myself as a highly sensitive person. He was like very much more so than me. Mm -hmm. He would, he was like an incredibly empathetic, very, very smart, very switched on person. Um, But he would take on the emotions of whether it's the space or a certain person mm. like very heavily mm. um so like he was always down to he would love listening to people he would love like helping them through their problems or just even just chatting to them and like when he chatted to you it felt like you were the it was just like you and him in a room even if it, you're at like a, a busy party or whatever mm-hmm. but if you you know were like talking about your problems even though he was like very happy to do so he would kind of bear the weight of those emotions himself Mm. um obviously not out of choice but um yeah so it would kind of he was very sensitive to not only his own feelings but the people around him um so he would feel energy like very very heavily Mm. so talking about obviously your brother has passed away we've spoken about what your relationship was like when you were younger can you take us through kind of what it was like um even in like the weeks and months leading up to his passing, obviously we've discussed that he was hyper aware of his emotions. As you guys were older mm. um, and and both adults, did he ever discuss his mental health with you at all? Oh yeah, totally. We had we were we were very open with our mental health. Um, I think it was as we kind of entered that, like I said, the I guess the later chapter in our life, like when I left school and stuff that was one of the first things we connected on Mm -hmm. um you know i as i turned sort of 18 19 i was very aware of my anxiety and depression from a young age like maybe 15 um but you know it kind of got worse as i left school um and i started talking to my brother about it and it was kind of cool because i'd never seen my brother in that light i had always saw him as like this you know really big strong like um, not masculine in a negative sense, but like he was just a very like athletic, strong, like, you know, he's my older brother. So it was kind of like my idol. Um, but hearing him speak about his anxiety, I was like, oh shit, like I relate to that. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like even though he's my brother and we relate on a, like just because we're brothers, we're like, we relate to a lot of stuff. But hearing him speak about his mental health really kind of opened my eyes and be like, oh, I'm not alone in this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we had a lot of conversations around his mental health um and you know i even helped him through kind of understand like how his anxiety manifests and you know helping him like just giving him like tips of like what i do to help mine and Mm. and so we were like very open with each other about our mental health um he definitely had a tendency to bear a lot to people like be open but he never really told anyone exactly what was happening inside his head or exactly right so he told them maybe just enough exactly to filter through the questions but not deep enough for people to have a full extent of the severity yeah 100 percent. he kind of just like scratched the surface so when he did pass 
a lot of people were actually very surprised. Right. Like they, they knew he was, you know, he had gone through like depressive episodes and um, he had like quite a hard time at, at times, but a lot of people were very surprised because they just didn't know how deep it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And when like the weeks leading up to his passing, was there any indications that something was happening for him or did you have any sort of awareness um me personally no um because i was so i was in melbourne at the time because it was it was right as covid was kicking off Mm. you know he passed april end of april 2020 so it was like maybe a month and a half into covid really kicking off he was meant to come down at the end of march to visit me obviously couldn't you know didn't happen um yeah and um, so yeah, I was, um, the weeks leading up, I'd spoken to him on my birthday. Um, that was actually the last time that I ever spoke to him. Yeah. So my birthday now is a bit, mm. bit of a touchy subject. Yeah. Um, oh, we can relate. Yeah. <laughs> Birthdays yeah. aren't our favorite yeah. either. So yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's hard. Yeah. Last few years has been a bit weird. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, like leading up, I'd spoken to him a few times. I actually went, went back and randomly found our Facebook messages today. Um, Mm -hmm. and we were just chatting about like, you know, he had just started this like online course about digital marketing because he knew he kind of, you know, the world's going in that way. He was a landscaper. So a lot of his work kind of slowed down Mm -hmm. in COVID. Um, but yeah, as in all intents and purposes, I thought he was kind of like fine. I knew he was like, something was a little bit off when I spoke to him on my birthday. Mm. Um, and as it turns out, I wasn't aware of this until after he passed, but he actually, um, he had two attempts to take his life about um, maybe four or five weeks leading up to what ultimately took his life. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was clearly going through some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he had moved back with mum and dad because um, he was kind of in a transitional period of moving out of um, like a really like just not a good household yeah into he finally found like a really good um house in west end so it was kind of just staying at mum and dad's but um yeah he was like hospitalized twice i didn't know this because he told my parents specifically like don't tell cam i want you know i want to tell him myself yeah um and did he ever no i i yeah i mean i found this out from from my parents right um so yeah that was like pretty heartbreaking to see that you know that those were the kind of like the last month leading yeah. up um and i think covid had a lot to do with that and mm-hmm. just like his it just kind of exasperated his mental health obviously mm-hmm. as, as it did for a lot of us yeah yeah no for sure and i think too when you are struggling with your mental health and like you mentioned with covid plus being a landscaper there was a lot of uncertainty at that time for him Mm. you know moving having to move out of one living situation into another it seems like there was so many sort of like layered components yeah and him just not being able to you know um manage in the sense where he he felt like he could you know reach out or Mm. or, um you know go to those places to get that support i remember when we were speaking you did mention that he was on medication before his passing could Mm -hmm. you kind of talk us through that a little bit yeah um i don't know too much about it um but i know that he was on some form of antidepressants yeah um and he'd kind he went and saw a he'd He's been seeing a psychologist for years, went and saw a psychiatrist. They got, like, they gave him the script for it. Um, and f- 
as far as mum and dad told me, it, it worked. Like he was a much calmer person. He was much more like relaxed. He was, you know, not in his head as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he started there maybe like six weeks um, before he passed. And yeah, for, he was on him for like pretty much the last three days until he passed. And yeah, they seemed to work really well. But um, we kind of, I think we figured out that the last three days before he passed he didn't take them at all right don't know if that was on purpose or if that was uh, he you know it was a hectic couple of days of moving so he mm. might have just forgotten um but yeah i think um you know and you know the label obviously says like you know if you stop these abruptly like you can kind of you can kind of mess up your mental health so i don't know if that was a total contribute contribution to it but i think it definitely was some factor yeah well we were talking about this before we came because um we're both on Lexapro um, and I we've had a really hectic couple of um, days, huge, mm. huge month, that sort of stuff. And mm. yesterday and today I forgot to take my anti-anxiety and today I was like, what the hell's wrong with me? Like, why am I feeling like yeah. this? And then I'm like, oh my God, I forgot to take my, you know, tablet. Yeah. And it does because you obviously have to, your body has to become, you know, sort of like immune to it in a sense that when you go off it all of a sudden or abruptly, it so affects all aspects of you, including your nervous system and yeah. all of that. So, es- yeah. Especially like dependent on the dosage as well. Mm. Yeah. I'm on quite a high dosage and i know when i've forgotten to take mm. it like i just feel You'll feel it in your body everything yeah. everything in my mind in my body in my like focus level exhaustion mm. all of it so yeah i could definitely imagine that would be a factor in it as well yeah for sure um yeah i don't know what dosage he was on but um and like i think also the fact that he went on it and was only on it for like four or five weeks and mm. then wasn't on it like yeah I think abruptly that, that, yeah. that abrupt change probably would have definitely messed up his and that's what they say with a lot of that medication like if you do want to go on a different dosage like a lower dosage mm. or come off it you really need to slowly wean yeah. yourself off and consult your doctor, your doctor whilst doing always, so yeah. yeah i've been on um medication since i was like 18 19 years old and it's been you know a roller coaster up and down with different medications and weaning on and off but i know for sure if you you don't wean off them properly yeah. you just plateau mm. really badly yeah. yeah i understand that um prior to his passing your brother did go missing mm. so are you able to explain to us how you found out your brother was missing and what it was like um in those few days prior to the confirmation of his path passing mm. um yeah i found out from uh, a friend who I hadn't spoken to in well over a decade. Um, she lived uh, in the similar area or centenary area, like near where my parents live. Um, and she just messaged me on Facebook being like, hey, is this your brother? And it was like a like a police social media post or whatever. And I was like, yeah, shit, it is. Um, and I was like going out to a friend's house at the time and I called my mom my parents and you know they said yes like we didn't we didn't want to like worry you because obviously like i can't do anything for melbourne they you know um they kind of just didn't want to worry me until they i guess had a bit more confirmation but yeah i found out sort of maybe five or six hours after um like towards the evening because he went missing in the morning wow. yeah 
And then, um, yeah, basically just dropped everything and uh, messaged all my friends who still live in Brisbane and, you know, um, a lot of them who we kind of grew up with, like, really, really helped just mum and dad, like, search. And, and you know, we had the we had police, we had SES, we had, I think we had a helicopter and shit. Mm. Um, so it was, like, a really hectic search. Um, and, yeah, I was just in Melbourne just trying to, like, coordinate with people, just trying to chat to them and figure out, like, what was going on. And I think that was a uh, Friday or Saturday. Um, and sort of as it got to, like, later in the night, you know, I started getting like progressively more worried and yeah. I was like, shit, I need a, I need to book a flight back to Queensland. Um, and this was like, yeah, this was end of April. So like the, the border restrictions were in place, but you could get through with an exemption. Mm. So I uh, was lucky enough to get through, came, arrived on like the Sunday. Um, and then I think, no, arrived on the Monday. And then, yeah, by the Tuesday, it was kind of confirmed by the, um, uh, I think by the police that it was like they'd found the body and it was, um, it was him and it was like kind of confirmed. Um, and yeah, it's kind of, I was thinking about this today. Um, I'd never, I've never really kind of processed those three days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just about to ask, like, how was that for you? Yeah. How was your mental health? Um, it was a really strange time. And honestly, I, I like, I haven't properly processed it, um, at all. Like mm. this is probably the first time I'm thinking about it since it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was kind of, it's just weird. Cause like, you know, you grow up seeing these like missing people, persons reports and you're like, ah, oh, I can't imagine like how that family was feeling. And yeah. then it happens to you and then it happens to you yeah. and you're like, Oh shit. And it, it, I think I, the way my body reacted was just like, instead of panicking, I just went like my adrenaline just kicked in. I was mm-hmm. like, I got to, I got to do as much as I can from here to like help find them. Yeah. And I think that adrenaline just really lasted for like five days. Cause I was just, I just remember feeling like numb. Like I just, I didn't feel, I didn't feel sad. I didn't feel happy. It's I didn't like an out of body experience. Yeah, literally. Yeah. yeah. Like I was just looking at my body for like four or five days. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And then I like flew up and was with mom and dad for like a night. And then when we, when it was kind of confirmed, then it was like, once I got that confirmation, it was just kind of like a release. And then my body just kind of basically broke down and yeah. Um, yeah. It just started like, you know, then all the emotions started coming out. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, that time, I guess when I found out to, when we got, you know, police came around, it was just, uh, yeah, I've honestly like kind of had a mental block in that period. Like I can't remember exactly what happened. I remember like searching with some friends and just like kind of being there with mom and dad at the house. But yeah, it was just, it was just like a numb five days. Yeah. And I think too, like obviously we've lost our father to suicide Mm. um, in different sort of circumstances in the terms of we were little at the time but old enough to understand what was going on obviously Mm. to an extent and he took his own life in in the garage of our family home so there was no sort of um searching needing to be done it was finding him Mm. and then kind of waking up to that reality because we were asleep and then we were woken up and there was cop cars everywhere and it was like okay this is 
what's happened. Yeah. But, you know, to have to go from like missing your brother, he's he's gone, he's missing, mm. not There's knowing. that hope that he's still yeah. alive. Yeah, like yeah. maybe he's just retreating for a while and, you mm. know, we can't find him. And then to have that confirmation, it's, yeah, it's a whole nother experience, isn't it? And it, it just adds that other level. Yeah, it was just like my, I mean, the, the situation itself was stressful enough, but my anxiety gets triggered when it's something of like the unknown. Yes. And so that whole day or the whole couple of days, it was like, I was like numb and like just on adrenaline, but like my anxiety was just firing in the back of my head. Yeah. Mm. And then when, yeah, when we got the confirmation, then it's kind of just like flooded throughout my whole body. Yeah. And then that's when like, I kind of just broke down and started feeling everything. Mm. Um, But yeah, there was definitely like that hope um you know sort of with each hour that kind of went by the hope started like it was still there but it was like kind of yeah yeah. it was like fading um and yeah it was like um it was heartwarming to see how many people helped us yeah um but yeah it was just i guess a very heartbreaking situation Mm -hmm, um that yeah it was just was unable to control yeah 100 percent. um and yeah it, i i can't i still feel like i need to like properly process that time because i've kind of done the afterwards but yeah. i haven't really done like the, the weeks bef- leading up yeah. and the before and, and during and stuff so and they're yeah. usually the harder ones yeah right? for yeah, sure because you go through your brain about all of the different scenarios all of the different mm. opportunities you had and it's it's a bit of a like a mental rigmarole really mm. you can just go in loops and loops for hours and hours and hours and it is a really hard thing to process yeah um just for our listeners and their understanding um when he was found it was confirmed to you guys that he took his own life is that correct yes yeah okay and with um suicide it can be such a challenging thing for family and Mm. for close friends because there's often that sort of feeling of guilt the feeling of could I've done more should I've done more I mean I know I definitely carried that for a long time after our father's passing and I know you did too Tal Mm. did you have any similar experiences for yourself oh absolutely yeah I think um yeah, you know, the immediate thoughts that came to my head once we, you know, got confirmed was like I went through like our past messages and I was like, oh, shit, like I could have reached out to him more. Yeah. Um, Because like I knew he was kind of going through a bit of a, a rough patch for like, you know, even at the end of 20, uh, 2019 to start of 2020, like before COVID was happening, I knew he was kind of having a rough patch. And like we spoke on the phone um, quite a bit and, messaged and stuff back and forth but he was also like he kind of like would almost isolate himself and Mm. seclude himself and like withdraw withdraw yeah Yeah. like i would message him and get a reply like four or five days later yeah and like he he was never really like on his phone much anyway but when he gets in those stages he would definitely like isolate himself which doesn't help um so yeah like i definitely felt the guilt of oh shit this so much more I could have done. Like, uh, how did I not see this? You know, like kind of not like blaming myself, but just just going through like the what ifs. Yeah. And, you know, what if I did this or what if we did this or, or what if he, you know, didn't go here or whatever. Um, but I quickly realized 
you know, I kind of had maybe a week or two of that. And then we had the funeral. And I think after that, I kind of just realized I can't beat myself up over this because it was a situation I couldn't control. Yeah. Even if I did do more, like it still could have happened. Yeah. Um, as, you know, as, as shit is, as it is to say. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I kind of, once I accepted it, I was like, I can't dwell on the whys anymore. I yeah. just need to move move forward, help mum and dad, you know, and, and just kind of help anyone else going through a similar struggle and mental health because that's the kind of like legacy that Scott left behind and that's yeah. the legacy that I want to continue yeah. moving forward. No, 100%. And it is, it's almost like, I mean, I can't speak for everyone. I can just speak for myself and Ebony's experience with mm. dealing with, um, you know, a, a really close family member who's commit suicide. It's almost like the anger and the grief go hand in hand. Mm. Um, and all of those questions just swirl around in your head. Like, I'm yeah. glad you got to the point where you are able to accept it and, and know that there's, you know, there was really nothing like you could have done. But getting to that point is so difficult. Oh, yeah. There was, it was a rough two weeks for sure because I'm a very logical person in my yeah. nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so naturally, the first thing I wanted to do was like, why? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Why, why did you do this? Hit apart completely. Yeah, exactly. Just like, yeah, just on a logical standpoint, I just couldn't fathom that this happened and, and why it happened. And it was the same thing with my parents. Like they're even more logical than I am. So it was very hard for them and myself to understand. But yeah, I kind of... I the way my mental health works is like the unknown that unknown period mm. is when I'm triggered the most mm-hmm. my when my anxiety fires but once I get confirmation whether it's good or bad I kind of move to the acceptance phase quite quickly right and at least you have see I can relate to that because I'm the same when things aren't confirmed I really struggle because I feel like I don't have any control and it makes me feel more anxious because I would I'm very logical as well like Mm -hmm. there's obviously that emotional side and that sort of sensitive side but I look at things very practically so once I have an answer and a confirmation whether it's something that I want or not I'm like okay I've got something to work from I've got like this something that's what's happened I can work from that and where do I go next and so when everything's up in the air I feel like I'm out at sea with no life raft yeah, 100%. And so it like, was fucking yeah, supposed yeah. to do. Yeah. So, yeah, I can definitely relate to you. Like in terms of, you know, after his passing, did that open up conversations in your family with your parents about mental health? Yeah, yeah. I think it, it like we we never strayed away from mental health growing up. Yeah. Um, but like emotions, you know, we spoke about emotions. My parents were really good of um, sort of helping me understand why I felt the emotions Mm. like again from like a logical standpoint Mm. like a physiological standpoint um but I kind of struggled with just actually feeling them and sitting with my emotions Mm -hmm. so it was very hard for me to like regulate them from a young age yeah but yeah ever since then we've definitely sort of opened up the conversation around you know mental health I've even when I was going through first seeing my first psychologist when I was 18 I would talk to mum and dad and Mum and dad have also opened up about sort of some of their family history um, and, you know, some of the things that they've dealt with. Um, They kind of did that before this, but it definitely sort of opened the door more to be like more open and more vulnerable. Mm. Um, And just, yeah, like, you know, talking about the things that actually 
matter. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess with that, in your family dynamics since the passing mm. of your brother, have you noticed any big changes in the dynamic with your yourself and your parents and those conversations you guys have? Is there like more closeness there? Is everyone dealing with things in different ways? Um, yeah. D- my parents are dealing with it in different ways. They definitely like, um, they took a while to kind of get to the acceptance phase, mm. yeah. obviously, because like, you know, their firstborn. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, it took them quite a while. But they're, you know, it's definitely still hard whenever, like, his anniversary or his birthday or certain events come around. Yeah. Um, but I think on a day-to-day, we're all kind of, we've all kind of, like, managed to yeah, get through yeah. it. Um, but, yeah, we've, it's definitely brought us closer, mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we're sort of like, you know, we would, me and mum would, talk a lot on the phone but now we're like facetiming every week we're kind of mm. like just a lot more a lot more closer so out of a very unfortunate situation it has kind of brought the family a bit closer mm. um you know also kind of brought a lot of sort of old relatives and cousins and stuff you know closer we, as well. yeah um so yeah i guess that's one you know silver lining of the situation yeah and I think too, uh, like back to what you were saying before about growing up and understanding physiologically why you were feeling what you're feeling, but not having, you know, all of those tools to sort mm. of regulate the emotions. It, being a mother myself, you realize how important it is to teach your children yeah. that and kind of understanding that. I was talking to somebody today, um, an older woman how you know the generation before us you know especially those who grew up in the 70s 60s and 50s a lot of this wasn't none of it was available to them and so it's kind of like we're in a space now especially with the ability to you know have podcasts and Mm. have our own social media at our fingertips to really educate and then trying to implement that into our you know family dynamics and with our own children like with my kids we you know every morning we do our gratitude and mm, you know that. we <laughs> it's very mm-hmm. fun especially when my son says he's grateful for his farts i'm like good <laughs> on you son like be, be grateful for those for those yeah, bodily yeah, yeah, functions yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got to be a fan of your own brain no, you know? literally. <laughs> literally but it is like you you start to realize how much children are sponges and yeah. how they just absorb everything and Although it can be hard to be a parent and be in that position because you're trying to regulate yourself whilst regulating your children, the importance of letting them feel their feelings. And I always mm. tell my daughter that it's okay to be angry. You yeah. know, you're allowed to feel angry, yeah. but it's then what we do with that feeling and how we manage that feeling. But, yeah. you know, you can see that there's been such a huge shift, but also a big gap between what you know, our parents knew and what we know now. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And my issue was like always, like I knew it was okay to feel those things, but it's, you know, when I got angry or frustrated, it was not healthy or productive at all. Mm. Like I would sort of, you know, either just internalize everything and then explode or I would sort of just, you know, lash out at, at people. So it was never easy growing up with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that you know still manifests in me today and it's something that i'm like l- working through with my psychologist mm. um but yeah you know those those 
childhood ages are so imperative to teach mental health and yeah, you know and it, managing and i think yeah. too like even with my kids now when they get angry because especially the older two four and five they're mm. literally like teenagers in children's bodies yeah. and they're feeling all these like big emotions and don't know how to deal with them and you know i'm i'll grab out the pillow and i'm like come on punch the pillow scream yeah. in the pillow yeah, like yeah. run up and down the hallway do you want to do some star jumps how about we get the play-doh out and do something sensory like it's trying to um you know kind of upskill their toolkit yeah. and mm. make sure that there's things in that toolkit so when they are feeling angry or they are feeling overwhelmed okay i know this helps let's take that one out and mm. do this right now so yeah it's so important no yeah. it is and um it's funny you guys say that because i actually saw something the other day that kind of encompasses what we're discussing right now perfectly it was a woman in an interview um and she was just talking about how a lot of people have a misconception that um like your mental health is being happy all the time mm. like when your mental health is good it's being happy all the time but what she said was mental health is about having feelings that make sense in their context and then handling handling those feelings well mm. Mm. and Love that's that. exactly what it is yep. because yep. there is that oh well if you've got good mental health you should be happy all the time it's like yeah no, 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 your emotions ebb and flow throughout the day as they should. Mm. Yeah. But it's how you uh, experience those emotions yeah. and the feelings you have behind them and how you handle them in that moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if you can't be happy 24-7 and I feel like that is a misconception of... I would hate to be happy 24-7. No, 24/7. it's like, damaging. That's not the human that's experience. No, it's not. Yeah. I love being in a little huff. <laughs> oh, pepper my step. Oh, yeah. we know. <laughs> a, little, a little healthy anger is like I like, like how good. I say a little huff, but they're like usually big giant huffs. No, it's like jump scare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a jump scare. I'm like, boo, bitches, I'm back. <laughs> and I'm mad. <laughs> but I think that then feeds into that toxic positivity. And I know when yes. I started my um, healing journey at the tender age of 16. Not the tender age. <laughs> Um, no, Shut up. I literally did. No, and I know. Then it went into a space where obviously I was 16, so I was doing my best. But, um, you know, yeah, you're where doing your best. You're like meditating your life away. <laughs> there was like times there, Cam, where she would meditate for like hours. Damn. Yeah. Cam? I can barely do like 15 minutes. Hours. Hours. Did like, you go into like a trance or anything? Yeah. Yeah, she yeah. fully yeah. would. I've we, had like out of body experiences, which has been really cool. We yeah. we cool. once like quick caveat, but we went once <laughs> we once went on a Melbourne trip for our birthday because we were born on the mm. same day, a year apart, and I had all these fun things planned. And she goes, "I'm meditating," but my anxiety was really bad. There was one day where she meditated for about four hours, and I was just like. Do, do, do. <laughs> I'm like, what am I going to and do? And then she's like, I'm going out. I go, okay, well, can you bring back some fried rice? Because I'm going to be hungry after all this meditating. <laughs> she's like, I'm exhausted. And I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> Seeing Melbourne by myself. I can't see it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair point, fair point. Um, <laughs> no, but what I was saying is when I first stepped into that sort of, you know, awareness of, of healing and working on myself, and I think we all can you kind of get this sort of misconception that everything needs to be happy and mm. I can't focus on the past. I need to just focus on now. It's like, well, that's not reality. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's not reality, yeah. not actually healthy for us. Not at all. And it makes, um, it's more of a strain on our mental health than anything. Well, yeah. Because it's you an don't, expectation. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't take care of the past, you're like, you're going to have the same things repeat. 
you know, yeah. in his in, Preach in honey pie. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. The past is what makes, you know, it's what the trauma is manifesting in today. Mm-hmm. It's, it's from the past. So if you mm-hmm. don't ca- take care of that, then you're mm-hmm. just going to, you know, repeat yourself. Mm-hmm. And depending on how significant that trauma was or, you know, where it kind of lies dormant in, in your body, um, you know, things are always going to come up. We're always going to have to revisit to a certain extent and, yeah. you know, regulate ourselves. It's just how you do it. How exactly. you do it, for sure. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever be fixed, you know, like trauma is going to be there for life, but mm-hmm. it's it's you know, as you said, like giving the tools on how to one, regulate your emotions and how to deal with that trauma Mm. in a healthy way. So it doesn't manifest in, you know, unproductivity or it manifests in like anger or like, you know, hurting other people. Yeah. Or hurting other people or yourself. Like Mm -hmm. it's really just about, you know, working through the trauma, identifying the trauma, but then giving yourself the tools to actually just work through it on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. A hundred percent. And I feel the same way about grief as well Mm. like a lot of people like you know like I dealt with that a long time ago but in my mind I go how can you ever deal with a loss like that I think grief starts as an all-encompassing scream and then as you work through it and as time goes on it's a soft whisper Mm. and it's there Mm. with you but it's just not as loud and like you said it will creep up on those important times like your birthday or the anniversary and it it it's there and you know, those are the times where you have to go, okay, I'm really struggling right now. Yeah. What do I need? Yeah. And you also notice as the years go on, it's it's interesting. Like you feel like you've dealt with like the bulk of the grief and then it's all these little niggly yeah, things that'll come, come all over the shop that are all really weird because I felt the same with my father. I'm like, you know, I feel this way about it. Yep. I feel like kind of fine with it. It is what it is. And, you know, he passed away when I was... Like two days after my sixth birthday, I'm 31 now. Mm. And even my birthday this year, like all of these different feelings just come up that I haven't felt before. And that is what grief is. Like you, you know, it's not a linear thing. Yeah. I kind of look at it like uh, the ocean and the tides. Mm. There's going to be high tides. There's going to be low tides. Mm -hmm. And it's always going to be there. And there's going to be rips. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, shit will take you out to the the ocean and, you know, the Pacific Ocean and it will drown you sometimes. But it's always, the waves are always going to be there. Sometimes it's just going to be a bit further in Mm. or, you know, a bit higher and Mm. sometimes it's going to be a bit lower. Um, But yeah, I feel the same way. Like last year I was like, oh, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm in a good place. Like I'm, I'm kind of over it. Not over it, but like I've. I've <laughs> no, but don't you hate it when your brain tricks you like that? Oh, you're like, I feel great, and then <laughs> yeah. the next day you're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and then I came into this year being like, oh no, there's, there's still like, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot of shit that I need to work through. <laughs> oh no, Cam, you were wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, like you're dumb. Why would <laughs> yeah. you think that? Um, but it's interesting you say that though about the tides because I, I often say that too. Like when I'm really going through it. I feel like I'm pulled out to sea with not a life raft in sight. Can't see that sort of, um, you know, lighthouse. And I realize that when I'm stuck in a rip, what do they tell you to do? They tell you to relax and Mm. float. And eventually you'll be brought back to shore. And that's what we need to do when we're so overwhelmed and can't sort of, you know, when you're so overwhelmed and everything in your mind is all over the place and you can't actually contextualize or, Mm. you know, rationalize anything. Mm -hmm. You need to just... I got to let it go. I got to just ride this out, ride this emotion. Don't try and piece it here or put it there. I need to just 
be with it until I give myself that time to sort of soak it all in, mm. have that reprieve, and then it's going to make sense soon. Yeah. And, and you're so right, but it is so hard. Oh, it's so <laughs> hard. Yeah. In and those moments to let go and re- like just let be. Oh. Yeah. When you look back on it, you're like, well, that was that was fucking easy. Why, why didn't I do that before? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, when yeah. you're in the thick of it, you're like, oh, absolutely not. Yeah, the world's fucking crashing around. Like <laughs> everything's burning. Like I'm going to die. You're like, I'm drowning. Yeah. Your girlfriend like comes in and she's just like, you're just on the bed. Like you're fine. <laughs> no, but I'm I've been like that lately because we've been going through a lot, and I felt, you know, so many times where I felt like I'm out of control, and my mind's been going. What do I want? Cheeseburger, oh, wine, or this yeah. or that. And yeah. I'm like trying to grab for these things. I'm like, I'm okay. I actually, I'm right. Yeah. You know, it's okay. Um, in terms of you sort of managing your own mental health, what things have you done differently after, you know, the passing of Scott? What, what things have you implemented into your daily routine or into, you know, your life? Um, my daily routines kind of stayed fairly s- the same for like most of my adult life. Um, uh, I also want to preface this with saying this is just what works for me. Obviously, it may not work for everyone, mm, um, yeah. but a lot of these strategies, you know, uh, help me. So, you know, if you're struggling out there, maybe maybe give some a go um, if you're not doing them already. But um, I love to exercise. Yeah. Um, I think it's one of the best things that I do. I don't even exercise to like, you know, I don't want to get shredded. I'm not shredding for steroids. Oh, boo. <laughs> I was literally just about to say, oh, you've got to shred for Steza. No, no, no. I mean, like, look, a little a little, little vanity in me. Oh, I thought you were going to say a little pump here and there. <laughs> <laughs> a little no, bit of creatine. Um, string singlet. Yeah, love it. <laughs> used to own one of those, unfortunately. Oh, um, I need a photo. Yeah, I'll, I'll dig one up. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, it's ma- it's mainly for my mental health. Like, yeah. like I try where I, as much as I can start my day, you know, wake up early and go to the gym first thing I do. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels so good. Yeah, it, I just find I'm so much more focused during the day. Like I'm more lively. I can manage obstacles better. Mm, like yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not like f- hyper focus uh, fixating on um, on a certain thing that do- that goes wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so exercise for one, um, and, but like. Things that I've started implementing implementing more is um, just sort of journaling, whether it's like gratitude every morning yeah. or um, or yeah, even just like on a Sunday, just like writing like my thoughts of the week, how my week went. Just honestly, just writing anything down. Yeah. Because um, I found um, like I just started to internalize heaps. Yeah. Um, and that's when my... I start to like overthink and overanalyze and catastrophize. Mm. So even if it's just like writing something down or even if I'm in the car or just going for a walk or doing something, like I'll just talk to myself mm. yeah. as well. Like I'll just talk out loud, like what I'm feeling, how I'm feeling, how this makes me feel. Yeah, I do that. And I just find like even just vocalizing it, even if no one's hearing it, it's, it's, so it's good out of my head and into you. the word. Yeah. 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 Um, so I've started doing that a lot more. Uh, I also find it like brings me back to the present because mm. I find... I have a really bad habit of like internalizing and getting stuck in my head where like I would just disassociate yeah. for like an hour and just be like, holy shit, like what has happened? Yeah, like, yeah, where, yeah. Where How I? did I get here? Yeah. yeah. And like, an hour's passed. Yeah, <laughs> no, like, consci- like I'm conscious. They say time enough. travel isn't real. It is. <laughs> Yo, it's it, dissociation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just look into my brain. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I'm conscious, obviously, like if I'm driving, like I know, you know, I'm not going to crash or whatever, but like my mind will just yeah (laughs) but my mind will just go to another place so like when i find myself doing that i'll just i'll like 
touch my fingers or yeah. I'll breathe or I'll just like literally just say anything. Like yeah. I'll yeah. Just to like, bring yourself back yeah. to the present. I'll yeah. even just be like, ah. Like, my psych actually taught me a really good tool for that. He said, um, whenever you're feeling that way or you, f- you can feel it when you're dissociating to look at things around you and just name 10 things yeah. you see. I do and they just well. bring you back to yeah. the present straight away. Yeah. And you're like, Whoa. What if yeah. you can't see? <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, Ebony, you're fucked. <laughs> I just keep disassociating. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's just like in her own world, and she's like, "Well, I guess these tools don't work for me." Uh, no, I do the smelling yeah. and the hearing and the touch. Like your senses, yeah, yeah. 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 It's the just other it's a sensory thing. Yeah, um, for sure. And I think something else that I've since Scott's passed, I think just in general, just being going back to psychology and actually like taking therapy seriously yeah not that i didn't before but i would only see it see them very um circumstantial yeah very situational so yeah. like bad breakup or if i'm just going through an anxious and period a lot of people do that yeah. like i'm feeling good but this bad thing happened so i'm gonna go yeah exactly yeah. and you yeah. go for like four or five weeks and it helps for sure like it helps in that moment but um i entered this year being like you know what i'm finally going to tackle my trauma my trauma i'm going to talk about scott i'm going to talk about my own childhood trauma you know just like just wanting to better my mental health Mm -hmm. so i think that's been a game changer as well it's where i've learned a lot about i'm all i've always been a very self-aware person but i think it's given me like i've i know what my triggers are i understand how they play out and how they manifest but i never really had the tools to self-regulate yeah so that's kind of been the biggest lesson that i've learned i honestly i'm loving listening to you speak especially just from a male's perspective because I do feel like in society men have you know taken on that role of the masculine in terms of we don't speak you know Mm. we have to be strong we have to you know it's it's weak to speak essentially and I just think it's phenomenal that you're here talking to us today about you know the topic of not only losing your brother but what you've done to manage your own mental health and the things that you're doing right now especially you know accessing therapy and you're Mm. so right in terms of like you know lots of people yourself going to therapy and lots of people can go to therapy you know circumstantially and it's one of those things Tali and I always say it's like um with our physical health if you want to look good and feel good in your body yeah no literally (laughs) you can't go to for five weeks and you're done you have to be consistent it's the same with your mental health It's just showing up yeah. and it's just that consistency and you build it into a habit and a routine. And after a while, like it just, you, you know, like anything, like the more consistently you do anything, the more you learn, the more you're able to perfect it mm-hmm. and the more you're able to implement it into your daily life. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I am curious though about, um, you know, after the passing of your brother, I know you personally, so I mm. do know that you are very vocal about mental health, especially men's mental health. Um, did everything that happened with your brother prompt any conversations for you to have with your friends, um, your male friends? And and what did that look like? Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, I think it just, it prompted me to be more vocal on social media and mm-hmm. just vocal in general. Mm-hmm. Like I was always from, you know, my early 20s like I was always kind of talking about mental health yes um and I was it was kind of as I was like sort of finding things in my own life um to do with my mental health but since he passed yeah I've I've definitely you know I do Movember every year I use November as a sort of a mental health 
awareness month mm-hmm. yeah. i know that there's obviously like are you okay day and things like that but um yeah I, I do things like that raise money for charity um and even in my friendship group um yeah just starting the conversations of like instead of just the oh you know how you doing this week how's work it's like no like how's your mental health yeah, yeah. Like how, how are you how, really, yeah, how are you you really feeling? feeling yeah yeah um because yeah if you know a couple of our mutual friends like i know have been going through like a rough time and just even checking in on them just being hey i know you're going through a rough time like just want to make sure that you're okay you know mm-hmm. what i mean just like reaching out like that even if it's you know there's a no pressure thing like hey you, you don't need to reply right now reply whenever you want but like just making sure you're okay yeah. just like yeah. being more active reaching out checking in on people having the real conversations rather than just like the surface level oh yeah works good you know going out with the boys with the drinks or whatever like mm. actually getting down to how you're feeling mentally and and you know if they're up for it like talking to them about it yeah it and you're right it is so important and i think the beauty of people like yourself uh, a male who is open about their mental health i think as someone also who mm. is open about talking about mental health when you talk about yourself it almost gives makes your friends feel more safe to open about yeah. up about theirs as well and giving them those space spaces like you said we do have a lot of um mutual friends that are males as mm. well and i have a lot of male friends who I know don't usually open up about their mental health, but have verbalized to me because I'm so open about mine, they feel safe enough to speak about theirs. Well, it lifts that veil of perfection that we all feel like we need to, you know, live in. Like Mm. this this bubble of we're okay and everything's fine, when in actuality it's okay to not be okay. Yeah, the wheels are falling off and that's fine. Yeah, Yeah, it's so cool. 100%. (laughs) Speeding around like Flintstones. (laughs) No wheels, just feet on the floor. (laughs) No wheels, just vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but no i think it's it's super important um because you know i'm in the same boat where like i um by me sharing things on social media or um you know i just if i find like a nice quote or a video like i'll give it a share on my instagram story and things yeah. like that um and i found that a lot of people will just dm me being like hey thank you i needed this today or oh, and like so I've, nice. I've had a few friends um, recently just reach out be like you know what you post on social media is actually like it helps me um, not only get through the day but also like open up about my mental health and I've yeah. actually been way more open with some of my friends because of it yeah so that's really nice to to hear and like you know I'm not doing this for vanity reasons like I'm I'm literally doing it for the reasons that I just described of yeah. like if yeah. I can help one person even just like feel better about themselves yeah. or feel better about the day or, yeah. or feel like they can open up whether it's to me or their friends or family or a psychologist like that's my job done yeah that's that's all I ever really want to do no I love that and honestly I think Scott would be looking at you now and he would be incredibly proud of you I agree I think he would be so 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 proud of you and I just am so grateful that you you know have come and share with us today and I think that everything that you've said and touched on and how vulnerably you've shared is incredible Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. I feel like I need to buy your burger. <laughs> you just had one, I'm pretty oh. sure. Yeah, I just had a quarter pounder. Oh. <laughs> We're not eating meat, but I feel really jealous. I've been thinking about cheeseburgers lately. <laughs> I really have. We've been in fight or flight. Cheeseburgers come straight to the brain. <laughs> yeah, when, when in doubt, cheeseburger. Yeah, yep. go straight to the Macca's drive-thru. 
But honestly, I am really proud of you, Cam. And I've known you for a really long time, but we've only become close in recent years. Mm. And just seeing your transformation just emotionally over these last couple of years have been incredible. And I think, you know, all of your friends in your life, especially your male friends, are really lucky to have you, have someone who is able to articulate their emotions, but also able to uh, be there for other people mm. when they need it as well, which is a hard thing to do both. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Ebony's right. You should be incredibly proud of yourself. And I think Scott's proud of your, you as well. And it was amazing to talk to you today. So thank you so much. No worries. Thanks, guys. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> Bye. so when we recorded this podcast we were recording in the studio but cam is actually from melbourne so while we were recording we had a really important question that we wanted to ask him but we didn't get the time to so we really wanted to give him the opportunity to share his perspective so i have cam with me today how are you going cam yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me back. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> You've been back on like two episodes rolled into the one and one, so that's kind of fun. Yeah, I've doubled up. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah for sure. The only guest who's been able to do that. Oh, I'm taking that to my grave. Yeah. <laughs> <Stop. laughs> so the question that we did have, and I know it's a question that you have um a really good take on and a really good perspective on, is mm-hmm. um what you would like to see change in men's mental health and men feeling comfortable to share how they're feeling? Mm, Yeah, for sure. Um, This is a great question. I think something that definitely needs to be more open, um, like discussed more openly and honestly, I think um, the first step for me is, is from just getting rid of the social stigma that's attached to mental Mm. health, Um, especially Mm. when it comes to men speaking out about their feelings or or mental health issues. Um, You know, I think as a society, we've come, we've come a long way since, you know, the turn of the century and even before it, you know, the the early 1900s and the fifties and sixties when mental health wasn't really a known thing or, or, and it was definitely a taboo topic to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we've definitely grown from from that aspect but I think we can need to continue to grow and create more safe spaces for men to express their feelings you know without judgment without criticism or or being seen as quote-unquote weak Um, Mm. there is still you know such a large stereotype in today's society that men need to be strong and masculine and I I think that's true I think you know there's there's truth and elements of truth to that stereotype but I think a lot of that stems from earlier generations who were taught that if you speak about your feelings, your emotions, you know, that you're weak and you become ridiculed by society and, and their views of, of masculinity was internalizing everything, you know, being the big tough guy that plays football or plays sport is, you know, the, that's commonly known as like a jock in, in mm. the Hollywood movies and stuff. And I think that's stereotype is still around today. Um, but I think, you know, from my experience, like you, you can be strong and masculine and still talk about your feelings and emotions and your mental health. Mm-hmm. If anything, like it's actually going to help you become stronger and more masculine. If, if yeah. I'm honest, you know, like it doesn't make you weak. If anything, it, it, it actually takes more courage to, to speak up and create that conversation. Um, and it's one of the strongest and most empowering things that we can do. And we should be celebrating men who do this rather than insulting them and calling them weak. Um, yeah. So I think as a society, we need to 
need to keep the conversation going and, and remove the stigma that, you know, speaking up makes you weak because it really just makes you stronger. Um, so I think that's one element of, from like a societal standpoint. Um, mm. I think from a, from a government and a political space, you know, that can be done um, more, more to be done in, you know, providing additional subsidized mental health services, um, especially around like the mental health care GP plan. I think it's, you know, it's an amazing resource that we, that we have. And it's, it's amazing that we have access to this because so many countries around the world don't, um, and, you know, but it's great to see, receive 10 subsidized psychology sessions, but for someone who is trying to work through trauma, you know, even, even myself and see someone regularly, you, you can easily use those sessions very quickly. You know, I use Oh yeah. 10 is not enough. Like, I, yeah. no, not at all. I, I went through mine in like four months and, you know, and yeah, then the same. rest of the eight months until I can renew it, I, I'm now out of pocket, you know, hundreds of dollars every mm-hmm. couple of weeks. So I think we should be looking to at least, at least at the very least double these subsidized sessions uh, and this is not just for men i think this is for everyone you know like let's not limit it just men this is a general subsidized sessions for everyone because i think that will give people you know a much better financial cushion and and actually i think encourage them to go see a psychologist because it's such mm-hmm. an important thing to do mm-hmm. um so i think yeah definitely more subsidized mental health services and then i think finally you know from an educational level um we should be providing like more lesson plans and, and education about just general mental health, but also mental health issues within high schools. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking from my experience, you know, I was never taught about anxiety or depression or bipolar or mood disorders in high school. Um, I had to learn from like pop culture or movies or my brother or doing my own research on Google. And, you know, that, I think that's a good starting place, but I think it can, you can go down very quickly like a dark rabbit hole because there's so much, there is a lot of misinformation out there on the, on the internet. And I think having access to like mental health professionals that are actually available to young high school students um, to help them gain a better understanding of their mental health and how to, you know, improve and manage their mental health is such a crucial step to not only removing the stigma that's around mental health and starting the conversation as early as high school, but also reducing the knowledge gap and empowering our youth to actually look after their mental health, which I think is is something that definitely needs to happen. Yeah, no, 100%. And I really do resonate and agree with everything that you have just said. So I really appreciate you sharing your perspective. I really liked what you said about, um, you know, breaking that stigma, because I think society really does kind of box you in to label sometimes and as human beings there is we all have duality and so do men like you can be masculine but you can also share your feelings you you don't just have to be one and it's not even about have to be one no one is just Mm. one of those things you're not just masculine or you're not just like an angry person or you're not just a happy person like you are a myriad of things and um i definitely Mm. agree that the conversation should be opened up especially when it comes to education as well and it's something that should be spoken about in high schools and even primary schools and i think looking after your mental health should be a priority especially for kids because children are our future and mm. 
the more we're able to give them safe spaces to express themselves, they're going to grow up giving safe spaces to others. And I think the world that we live in now, it's very clear that we're all trying to make as many changes as we possibly can, but the road was paved by the generation before us and the road's rocky, yep. guys. It's a very rough yeah. road. Yeah, but I even 100%. mean what you I... said before about like, um, you know, we have come a long way, but I even remember as early as, as like 2013, like people would look at me funny because I was open about being on antidepressants and open mm. about going to psychology. And that wasn't that long ago. It was like 10 years ago. Yeah. hundred percent. I really think like, because I remember doing around the same time, like I started seeing a psychologist and some of my friends were like, Oh, like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I, you're I, crazy just, or something. Yeah. Like, I'm like, bro, I've just, I've just got anxiety. I've got, I'm going through a depressive episode. And I think I was always quite a very self-aware person from a young age because I did my, you know, research outside of school. Like I Googled things and like, obviously was no expert by any means, but I understood within myself what these things were. And mm -hmm. so I took myself to a psychologist, but I remember, yeah, it was probably 2013, 2014. And people, yeah, looked at me like I was crazy. I was like, no, 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 I'm just... I'm just trying to figure out like what's going on in my head. You know what I mean? And they just, mm -hmm. they couldn't really comprehend that. And I think if I'm honest, like it's only really been probably maybe like in the last, I mean, this is just my experience, but maybe in the last like four years, like 2019, I think started becoming way more open. But I think obviously since COVID that really accelerated the topic of mental health because it just uprooted the entire world. Like how could you not talk about mental health when, you know, our whole lives were just completely disrupted. Uh -huh. And I think it's been great having like, you know, having that moment of like people, especially like, you know, the working from home and, and the workplaces being a, a lot more open about mental health. It's great to have that. But I think, you know, we can't just have it for a couple of years because we're going through a pandemic. Like we need to continue to have those conversations and continue to have the services. Like why, you know, we had the subsidized psychology sessions uplifted to 20 during the pandemic, but then reduced back to 10 when the pandemic was no longer a pandemic. Like, yeah. bro, like anxiety and depression just didn't fizzle away because COVID's no longer. Like, you know, something else is like the pandemic, it was a traumatic event for the whole world. And um, because it was something that, came out of left field that no one had any control over mm -hmm. and life as we knew it changed and we have all kind of molded into this new kind of sense of normal the anxiety yep. and the depression and all of the mental health issues that many people faced during that time didn't just dissipate because lockdown was over it's still mm. there in the background because everything that they knew prior to COVID is completely changing completely different so I do yep. agree that the system is flawed in that sense and I did have quite a lengthy conversation with Ebony we do like compare mental health a lot of the time. To, like we try to, you know, bring our analogies down to real base level and compare it to like going to the gym or to the doctors. Mm. And it's like, if you, we were talking about um, more uh, Medicare um, subsidies for 
people who have been diagnosed with um, mental health issues. If you've been, Mm. you know, diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder or complex post-traumatic stress disorder or like um, anxiety or depression, then you've got the diagnoses, which shows that you do need regular sessions. So you should get more access to subsidies it's kind of like you know if you've got a knee injury you'll have to go to the physio more than your average person will need to go to the physio if you've been diagnosed with a mental health issue then you need access to it more than the average person would need access to it so I definitely think that there should be change there and I do agree with you 2019 changed a lot um, of things around mental health and I think it opened up a larger conversation about men's mental health as well because a lot of men were being a lot more vulnerable and a lot more open and I myself personally am very open about mental health and I always check in with my friends and I do have pretty like majority male friendships Um, Mm. and you know checking in on them during COVID was very important to me but what was even more kind of incredible about that time was that they were willing to be open about their mental health and have continued to be since then. Yeah, no, I think, I think it definitely opened everyone's eyes. And I think it has been, even for myself, like seeing a lot more of my male friends, because, you know, I'm like you, I've been quite open about this for, you know, probably the same amount of time if, you know, as you, like since 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've become progressively more open as I've kind of understood more things but it's been really nice to see my male friends yeah during COVID like you know even if it was just like over a FaceTime or a text or just like just checking in just like hey man you know just thinking about you like I hope you're well and then you know it might not be a long conversation but it might just be like yeah man like feeling a bit down like feeling a bit isolated we chat about it for like half an hour and then we kind of like you know would um, you know, we'd have other things to do and like we'd move on with our day. But like just having those conversations, I think, can really change not only someone's willingness to be open, but also just also change their mental health. Like I know yeah. when I get in a really bad mood and I internalize everything, the minute that I speak, just literally speak, even if it's just to myself or to a friend or to my amazing partner, Bella, or like to you or anyone or a professional, like I immediately feel better and my, the weight off my shoulders have been lifted. So I think yeah. the last few years has been great to, to have those conversations and to start it. But yeah. I think it's, it's, really, it's really about continuing that progress now. Yeah, 100%. And I agree completely mm-hmm. with that. And I think also not only talking to people, but creating a safe space for people to feel like they can mm. share well, I'm going to go to you because I know that you're not going to judge me or I know that this is a safe space where I can share how I'm feeling. And then that's up to the person that you're sharing with to decipher, like, I would love to hear you, but maybe you should think about seeing someone who has um, more expertise in this field because I think you get a lot out of that than you would just from talking to me. And, you know, it's a flow-on effect, but it, it, it starts at home. It starts with everyone and it starts with Mm. those conversations like we all have a responsibility to everyone and ourselves to keep that conversation going and make sure that people are feeling seen and heard as much as you are making sure you're feeling seen and heard as well yeah 100 percent. it's 
starts with, you know, it's just one step after the other. You start with one step and then it's just, a, you know, flow on effect. And then hopefully, you know, it, we, we can progress to a point where there is no stigma around mental health anymore and, and everyone's okay yeah. with chatting about it. Look, in a perfect world, that'd be great. Absolutely. <laughs> Although you might get the odd person on the street being like, I have anxiety. I just went, <laughs> same. <laughs> Sing it, sister. Same, bestie. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that, Cam. I really appreciate your time and you just sharing your perspective on that. And passionate about mental health in general but especially men's mental health and I think it's you know it's great to get your take on that so thank you no worries thanks for giving me the space to chat about it this episode is in loving memory of Scott McKinnon thank you for listening to the don't drown podcast we upload a new episode each week So to stay up to date with everything, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Don't Drown Podcast.